Welcome back. Today we are going to talk about the decline of masculinity and why it's a problem. Stay tuned. We're back. Yeah, we are. <laughs> so it's a kind of an interesting topic. I was telling you earlier, so here we are tonight. We thought we'll talk about kind of the state of masculinity in America, the world, and what's going on. And watch this little movie. I kind of fast-forwarded through most of it because I heard what the ending was going to be. But there's a movie on Netflix right now called Leave the World Behind with Julia Roberts, Ethan Hawke. And I won't spoil the whole movie for you, but it's kind of America's under attack. Internet's down. Electronics aren't working. And people are stuck without any information, not knowing what's going on. And part of the movie, kind of a big theme of the movie is that Ethan Hawke, who's the husband of Julia Roberts, he is very much has no idea what to do in this kind of emergency situation he's not making decisions he's not taking charge julia roberts is in charge of everything protecting her family making decisions where we're going to go what are we going to do and he's just kind of stringing along and the whole time i'm watching this movie i'm thinking man it's got to stink to be a dude that has no idea what to do how to do it and even there's a line in the movie where he says i'm just i can't do i'm i'm helpless i can't do anything without my cell phone or gps and it's just a sad, it's a very sad state for for people like that. I feel sorry for, for people yeah. in that situation. And I don't know what's leading guys to that. It's, it's a cultural thing. It's got to be mm-hmm. partly where it's just people grow up and, you know, they live in a city and they never have to think about doing anything. And all you got to do is get on Google to figure something out. You're always everything, you know, the Internet, the phone is your crutch. It props you up to be able to do things in life. And you never have to. I get so upset on a road trip, traveling with people and somebody's like, oh, I got it on GPS. Just follow me. Like, mm, man, I got at the very least, I might pull something up on my phone, but I want to see the map. I want to see the road. Yep. I want to see what it looks like. So I know where we're headed, where we're going. Uh, you know, any issues that might yeah. come up, I, I hate just relying on anything else where I haven't made it to where I know what's going on. <laughs> and we see a lot of that. It's and it's getting worse. Yeah. Have you ever had uh, have you ever had Google or your Apple Maps or something like that tell you to turn into a wall? Well, here's the thing. <laughs> so you've probably all seen The Office where Michael drives into a lake because the GPS yep. told him to make a right classic turn. Mo- well, classic this is not moment. made up yep. TV stuff. Nope. At least twice in Carbondale, Illinois, I've gone to car crashes where cars where the driver of a car turned right at the moment. The GPS said to turn right and they turned right onto a railroad track, not a road, not gravel next to the railroad track onto the railroad tracks. <laughs> Where they got stuck, got out of the car, and a train comes by and smashes their car. They just did what the computer said to do, even in the face of how ridiculous it looked. They did it 
anyway. It's like everybody's turned into stormtroopers, you know, or all the robots in a SpongeBob movie or whatever. <laughs> you know, it, and you're and you're like, well, that can't, that doesn't really happen. It happens all the time. It's widespread. It's not just a few goofballs here and there. It's a lot of people, and it's scary. I mean, I'm nervous about the state of where we're at and the capabilities of people, you know, kids being born today in 2023, what are their capabilities? Are they going to be able to grow up and join the military? Are we going to have anybody that's capable of doing anything yeah. in the future? Man, it's, I don't know. I think humanity's pretty good and pretty resilient, but man, we need a kind of a, a turnaround. We need to, we need an awakening yeah. of some some men in this country to kind of yeah. lead the way, I think. Yeah, I think that we're at a point, really, where uh, I've heard several people use this term. It's kind of like a revival or bust, and I think we're at that point. I don't think there's a – we talked about politics a couple episodes ago, but I don't think there's a way we can vote our way out of this. I think it's got to be a cultural shift. I think it's got to come from the bottom up. It's got to mm-hmm. it's got to kind of be a, revol- a revival, whether that's – spiritually and i believe that that is definitely true too but i think that it's just really unplugging from you know we use i use the term the matrix all the time but that movie has so mm-hmm. much i almost think that movie was prophetic at this point not so much that we're just <laughs> batteries powering all this stuff but we are really yeah. connected to the world in a way that we never have been but it's a lonely connection it's not real it's not yeah. something that that gives us um any kind of satisfaction or value in our lives it's just this do what computer says, you know, it's like, I don't know if anybody's ever seen the movie, um, idiocracy, but it's, it's, I think as crazy as that, that movie is, I think that we might be headed that direction. Hey, no tattoo, you know, it's like Gatorade's good for plants. It's just like, we're seeing all of this, you know, all this stuff that, that is Mm. when those, when those movies came out, you're like, Oh, that's really far fetched. Now you're like, "Mm, maybe not, you know, still not necessarily, fully real but we're definitely headed in a in a direction and specifically with men um men today and young men specifically they're not engaged in in things that historically we've always been engaged in and and even like and this is kind of a hot button issue but even like um they said that this generation of young people is having sex less than any generation in american history and it's like even the drive of testosterone yeah, to go out and and pursue something well, that's the end of the world right there yeah people stop doing that well i mean you look at you look <laughs> and, and we're, we talk about uh, birth rates we're actually in this country at a negative birth rate and a lot of the civilized world is negative birth rate just because i don't know we live in this i like, mean babies are going back into <laughs> <laughs> backwards no uh, <laughs> negative birth rate is like uh below replacement um level so one of the things that you see when a society searches in Japan has actually had this issue for a lot longer than we have. We just turned this way, I think less than a decade ago where we went to a negative. We've been right at replacement and then we went to a negative, but it's a, you can't. So you think about things like social security, you think about all this stuff that's reliant on a younger workforce. So all of those systems are going to start to crumble over time because there's not support for them yeah. and you don't see, you know, societies will start to crumble in that, 
um, in that world because we we just don't have a younger generation to support because the future of a country is the younger generation. The yeah. future of a church is a younger generation. Yeah, so, man, that's so interesting. And and kind of what we want to get out of this show is you know we don't want anybody to think that we somehow got it all figured out and we're better than anybody, but we do want to be an example. We do want to motivate people to think about being the best man you could possibly be. Mm -hmm. How can I do that? You know, we say things like be a leader in your family and all this kind of stuff and, and develop some skills, some, some shooting skills, some self-defense skills. And we want to show you and get you interested in those things Mm -hmm. so that you think to yourself, you know what, maybe, yeah, that is something I want to get into. And we kind of want to promote that and kind of, you know, help this awakening that's going on because it's not just us. And if you really look closely around, there's a lot of other people in your neighborhood, in your job, uh, all over the place that are doing the same type of things that we are doing and taking a stand for what's right and taking a stand for putting yourself in a position to protect yourself, your family, putting yourself in a position to help protect the community. And so we're, we're trying to get people motivated to take a stand and kind of reverse this trend. Like, no, we don't want to be a civilization that just withers away into nothingness. We need to build resiliency uh, in ourselves and just in in our own habits and, and, and what we do on a daily basis. And how can we do that? Well, there's a lot of, a lot of different ways to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, one of the things that, that we have a misconception of is that Jesus was this mild mannered, you know, kind of what we would, what we would describe as a, a beta male, a sweater vest wearing dude that mm-hmm. just walked around and just, just spoke softly and did all this stuff. And that's not at all the picture that the Bible, um, that the Bible paints at all. He was one of the most controversial. He was the most controversial figure of the time. Like he was speaking truth to people that were, very much set in their ways and very much in a powerful position. And also he had moments of actual violence, which is, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but this is why it's important to read all four gospels. All four tellings of the story of Jesus is because they're different perspectives. You read all, all four of them. And if you just read three of the temple where he turned over the money changers, if you just read three and exclude the gospel of John, it actually tells a story of like where you're just, Oh, we just went over and, you know, turned a couple tables over and all that stuff and, and got a little angry, but no big deal. No, actually that story, when you read John, he actually went out and fashioned a whip and came back and literally was beating people and driving them out of the temple. Mm -hmm. How crazy does a dude have to look to be in that, you know, in that, yeah. that realm, you know, and I, I listened to a podcast where a guy said something similar to this is like, wow, I, I never even thought about that, but yeah, because I think we have this, this idea that violence is this bad thing because we see it used for such bad things. But I, I really think that in, in all honesty, violence is, is it's kind of, it's kind of in the middle. It can be used for bad. It can be used for good. And in some cases, Violence is required to get a message across or to stop something bad. And I think that that's one way that the church is not equipping men to to be dangerous. We absolutely should know how to be dangerous. We should absolutely know how to handle ourselves in a in a difficult situation and to be able to fight against evil, whether that's a physical evil or a spiritual evil. 
But if we don't know how to do that and we're not being equipped in the right way, when that time comes, we're either going to react in a very bad way or we're not going to know what to do. Yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah, the cool thing about what you talked about, about kind of the image of Jesus on the earth and who he was and what he stood for, you know, we've, I think it's been commercialized. Absolutely. Uh, Jesus is sitting around, you know, with a bunch of flowers hanging off of him <laughs> with some soft music playing. He's a hippie. Yeah, exactly. That's really the, the picture that has been, has been painted. Um, and to me, a couple of images stand out. One is is the the flogging and beating Jesus took on the way to the crucifixion. What it would take for a, a human being, a man, to volunteer and be like, sign me up for that. I got a purpose. I got something that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Take me over there and beat me to almost death. I'm going to volunteer for that. That takes a strong physical and mental attitude to do that. That's crazy. There's I can't think of anybody tougher on the planet nope. that's ever gone through something like that. Uh, the Bible also says in Luke twelve forty nine, Jesus says, I did not come to bring peace on earth, but I came to bring fire and how I wish it was kindled already. Man, that's, and he also talked about it, basically he's coming to bring division. And the reason he's coming to bring division because he's forcing people to make a decision about what's right and wrong. Mm. There's no more in the middle. You can't just skate around with, you know, making up your own truth. There's what's the truth and there's what's not. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be on one side of that. And that's, there's a division. We can't just be this melting pot of everybody is the same and everything's okay. And, and your truth is your truth and mine's mine and everything will be fine. That's not really why Jesus came here. It was to tell you exactly what the truth is. And a lot of people don't like hearing that. All right. You know, so you have to de- we're all going to deal with that one way or another. But that that's the image that I think about a lot is that strong, decisive. Here's what I'm coming for is to tell you what's up mm-hmm. and to tell you what's right and wrong. And here's your options. You know, yep. Jesus said, I don't want anybody to perish. I want everybody to come to me and have everlasting life. You know, Jesus isn't coming here to poke at, at people and say, you're doing this wrong. You're going to hell. Jesus is like, I've got an answer for everybody because we're all in the same boat. And nobody's different. Here's a solution. It's me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the only way. Yep. There's not 50 other ways, according to Christianity. And so everybody's got to make a decision and in life, I think, you know, we all need to not be afraid to make the right decisions and we can still do that peacefully and lovingly and not making fun of people. But, you know, if somebody asks your opinion is some about something and you give it and it's a biblical opinion and people don't like the answer, you know, I'm not going to shy away from that. Jesus didn't shy away from those nope. type of confrontations. And I think we need to have the the mental fortitude to be able to speak the truth. Um, not forcefully, but just confidently. Mm-hmm. And, you know, other people are going to have to deal with that if, if, if they need to. Yeah, absolutely. There is, there is something that I think the church has been doing recently, and I think it's been a detriment, is that we have conflated niceness with love. Love is not always nice, and I think that this conflation has led to a lot of the problems that we see in culture uh, because the church 
it's especially in this country used to lead culture. We used to be kind of we were counterculture, but culture kind of followed that because we were based on uh, Judeo Christian values, and 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 society wanted more morality than I think it does now. But we have conflated niceness with love. Love's not always nice. When I discipline my children, sometimes that requires not being too nice, but I'm doing that because I love them. Because I see if they don't get, if they don't understand what is right and what is wrong, then when they actually go out into the world as an adult, they're going to fail and fail miserably. And I am doing that as a loving father to teach them to mold them in the way that God tells us as parents to mold them. And I think that that's something that's just lost because church, the church seems to want to preach this watered down, like that love is this, is this hippie thing, you know, that we're just sitting around with flowers and a guitar and, you know, singing and, you know, hugging each other and all that stuff. And that's, that's not, that's not always, that's why we don't shy away from doing the firearms content and the range stuff and Mm -hmm. shooting and all that. Like, I think a lot of people identify that. A lot of people that maybe aren't Christians that are into that. And then next thing you know, they see you in church and they're like, hmm, wow, I've never, I haven't seen too much of this before. Like, if these guys that are doing all this rough and tumble stuff and run around and shooting guns and all this outdoor stuff, if those people are in church, maybe, maybe I might be able to go because. You know, like I said, when I was growing up, I thought church was like the churchy thing. And it was just, it was not really mm-hmm. geared towards my, just my, my attitude necessarily. And, and I didn't, it was, didn't feel like a comfortable fit because I didn't see anybody that seemed like me. Mm-hmm. I'd see the 89 year old lady on the piano and I would see, you know, the people in the choir singing these nice songs. Well, I'm not a singer. I don't sing choir songs you know and I, I would just see images of things that just didn't fit with me and so I think you know we need to be an example for people to show like hey you know what this is you know part of our life too is our is our faith and we want people to understand hey this is this is what it's really all about you know all the you know the masculinity things and the and the guns and the outdoor stuff and running around and jumping in ice baths or whatever <laughs> you crazy people do <laughs> Uh, in your free time, yeah. um, you know, we want people to connect. We want guys, you know, strong leadership dudes to stand up and be like, you know what? I think I've been thinking about this and now I'm seeing these guys involved in all this. I think maybe, you know, it might be something I need to think about doing as well. And maybe I'm not, I'm not going to shy away from this because, hey, I'm seeing people, you know, like me. Mm-hmm. doing the same stuff. So that's that's a big part of what we're trying to do. Yeah, I think that one of the one of the molds that the that we get into in in church and and in in ministry stuff is is that we we equate what what appeals to men to what appeals to women and we just the men's ministry in the church is just women's ministry repackaged. And we get this, you know, so we, we have a, we have a pancake breakfast, which, you know, Hey, I love pancakes just as much as the next guy, Who doesn't? but we've got this whole thing of like, let's just get guys in and talk about our feelings and talk about what, what is the, what's going on in us emotionally. And it's like, you're going to get 10 guys to show up for that. 
and they're all probably going to yeah. be old dudes that you know, and and you're not going to have any of this. Group, that's tough in a group. Now, one on one, you get a buddy together. Yeah, at lunch. Yeah, talk about a lot of stuff. Yeah, you can dig deep into some all kinds of issues. You know, in a group of fifteen of people, you know, in a room. I'm not going to, I'm not saying jack squat about yep. what I got going on personally or whatever. So it ends up being, Hey, you know, how'd the Cowboys do last weekend? Yep. And it's just, you, you know, you have some cookies and some punch and, you know, and you shake hands with a couple of people and it doesn't really, you know, turn out to be a whole lot. And you're like, well, what am I going to do that for? Yeah. Like, because, why? because I, you know, women it, it connect on emotional first before they're going to get to any kind of action. Men connect on action first before they're going to get to anything emotional. So you have to have a you have to have a rapport and a relationship and have have experienced some things, even if it's just something small. Mm-hmm. I believe that an experience with with men is going to speak more than just getting out there and be like, "Hey, how you feeling, Dave? Are you you yeah. okay? How are your emotions right now?" Yeah. And it's like, no, uh, that kind of almost gave me the heebie-jeebies just saying it so what is so i'm always like i feel a little frustrated sometimes because you see so many issues out there in the world whether it's just people always on their phones and just and not being leaders in their family like how do we fix you know how's that change how do we fix that where you know we can't take everybody's cell phones away and we can't shut off the internet and i you know so it starts with just little things with kind of like what we're doing here and maybe a couple other people. It's got. I guess it's got to start somewhere, and maybe one person at a time. You know, yep. in this world of seven billion people, yep. uh, I guess you know is, is better better than nothing. Mm. But we'd really want people to kind of jump on this bandwagon of leadership and and being the leader. Then it starts at home in your family. And and goes out from there and and being involved from there more with your faith and not being afraid to jump out and be like, man, I really need, you know, God directing my life. We see so many people having struggles, I think, because there's like a void in their brain and their soul. Like they're just kind of wandering through life. Like, well, I don't know. I never thought about church and I never thought about I just went to work and, and typed on my computer all day and came home and there's this void that just lets the world and the fleshly desires of the world fill people up and that's how people are motivated to move around and i was thinking about this today i think on the range when we see shooters come out and they're struggling mm-hmm. I usually and you've probably heard me say this before i'll ask a student on the range and we're just shooting like five yards big targets not a big deal and i'll ask them what are you thinking about when you're pressing the trigger and here's the answer nothing i was just i was just hoping i hit the target i just hoped everything worked so that's problem that's a big problem because if you're not thinking about anything specific like there's no plan to your action with that machine it's not going to work for you and it's not going to work not because the machine doesn't work it's not going to work because mentally you're not specifically thinking of how to work it and so I'm thinking, well, what about in life? Instead of just wandering around like zombies, just soaking in all of this information from the world, the news, TV, internet, Instagram, all this stuff. Instead of just that, how about we fill ourselves first 
with faith, the Bible, God, fill ourselves with that, and then be very specific in our intent of what we're going to do. Like, here's what I need to do today to not suck. Let me see if I can get up on time. Let's start the day right, if possible. Mm -hmm. Let me try to do that. What else can I do? Let me get, let me read the Bible for five minutes. That's it. Five minutes. Do something very specific. And then the next 30 minutes, what else am I going to do? You know, I'm going to listen to this radio station on the way to work. All right. So that's your first hour of the day. You know, what else? And so you specifically start to plan out chunks of your day. And it doesn't mean you write down what you're doing every five minutes for the day. But your day needs to have some specific intent to it before you get there. And if you just wander around, it's easy. If you're just sitting around on the couch one night, you're like, man, a bowl of, you know, chocolate chip mint ice cream sounds really good. <laughs> and you're in the middle of trying to lose 20 pounds. You're going to go get a bowl of ice cream. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're just going to do it. But if earlier in the day you said, you know what, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this. I'm going to have this for supper, whatever. And I'm not eating anything after eight o'clock. And you've already made that decision. It's a lot easier to not eat anything after eight yep. o'clock because you've planned it out earlier. And you just start thinking about breakfast the next day or whatever you have to do to, to get through that struggle. But if you don't have any specific plan in place and you're just hoping, if you just hope it works out, you're going to be let down. And we see it, like I said, on the range all the time. Shooters come out. They just hope the gun works. They just hope they hit the target. Never works. That's always the first problem. The first problem I see mentally with shooters on the range, I just hope all this works. No, no. we got to have a plan here. We've got to – I'm going to give you A, B, C, and D to do here in order. Can you do that? Okay, yes. They do it. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, this worked. Why did it work? Because you just gave yourself a little plan. It took you three seconds to figure out, and you did those things, and it worked. So, you know, and like I said, I'm not the bastion of, <laughs> of, of being focused and having to plan for my entire day and having everything worked out. But I do kind of know the formula. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I know the things that lead us to be successful and we all need help. We need encouragement, have buddies, have friends that can encourage you. You can talk to you. Hey man, how's it going today? You know, those type of things. Um, and so I think those are some small things we can do to help guiding us in the right direction. So we can be an example to our family, our coworkers, our friends, man, we've got to, we cannot just sit around on our couch and hope things work out. I hope I'm watching the news tonight, man, this is terrible. I can't believe this happened in this court decision and, and all these things. All right. So what are we going to do? Just sit around, <laughs> you know, you not might not be able to solve all the world's problems, but you can solve the problems around you. Yep. And then John solves the problems around him. And then the next 5,000 dudes fix the problems in their lives. And, and pretty soon we've got, you know, kind of this awakening and this movement is really snowballing. Yeah. Big time. Yep. I completely agree with that. There is um, there's a next step, I think, of of identifying our weaknesses. I think that that's yeah. something it's it's something that I've thought about a lot here recently of identifying weaknesses and leaning into those weaknesses to make them at least stronger, if not your strengths. Um <laughs> You could use an example in the Bible of of Moses. You know, he was horrible of speaking. He was 
not able to lead and speak and God was able to use him in that he didn't, he didn't shy away from it. Instead, he leaned into it. He leaned into leadership, even though he thought that his speech was going to hold him back. And God provided, he used his brother. He did all of this thing and he led the children of Israel through the darkest time that they had went through. I think for us as a practical way that we can, because there, there's practicality to everything in the Bible too. There's not just, it's not just this spiritual mystical book that we read and we're like, oh, well, let's, let's, let's get into our hippie, you know, world. No, there's, there's practicality to it. And so in that practicality, we should be, we should be leaning into the things that are our weaknesses because if we become well-rounded, if we become disciplined, it makes us able to lead better. And so for me, I have, I love to exercise and work out in the gym with weights. I hate to run. I absolutely hate running. And uh, you guys probably seen some of the videos. I'm not, you know, I I hate (laughs) running, but uh, I, I have, I had a buddy that that said, Hey, we're going to run a half marathon in April. You want to join us? And I'm like, no, but I am. And so I started running and I've been running and you know what? The accomplishment that I get from just doing a three mile run or three and a half mile run is like, I was able to tell, to get control of that. My inside that says, I don't really want to do this right now. Mm -hmm. I don't want to get short of breath and run and do all this stuff. And when I get done, I'm like, wow, that's a, that's a, I don't want to say mind over matter, but it's, it is something, it's a discipline of saying my physical body's not in control. I'm going to, I'm going to harness that and I'm going to make it do what I, what I, what I want it to do. And my flesh is not in control. It's a, it's a part of dying to flesh too, because we have this flesh that crops up and wants to grab a hold of certain parts of our lives and get us entangled in all of this garbage and if we daily pursue discipline, Jordan Peterson's 12 rules for life. One of the best books I've read in, in my life, really, I would say it's probably a top 20 book I've read in my life. What's the first thing that he says, make your bed Mm -hmm. practical, but you know what? You get up every morning and you make your bed. That's the first thing you do. You are disciplining yourself to do something that is positive to start off and Jocko Willink does this. He gets up, he takes a picture of his, of mm-hmm. his watch every morning, four 30 in the morning. And he said, that's the first battle that I win every day. Yeah, you know and what? I think that that's the, that's the mindset we should have as Christian men too. I'm calling BS on Jocko right now because he used to take pictures of his watch at like 4.30. Now he's taking pictures of his watch at like midnight. I don't know when the guy sleeps and goes to bed. I don't know what's – I don't think that's morning for him. I think he goes to bed at like noon and gets up at 8 p.m. So like 4.30 is really like 7 p.m. for us. I think he's full of it. I'm, yeah. I'm, I don't trust the guy anymore. Yeah. I don't I think somebody needs to follow him around, yeah. man, because this is not – I'm yeah. confused. <laughs> I want to see. I want to see some videos of you getting out of bed. Yeah, you set up a yeah. motion camera. Yeah. So whether you make in your bed, whatever, do some, accomplish something. So whether you get up and make your bed, or you read your Bible for five minutes, or you wash the dishes in the sink for two minutes in the morning, what do anything to accomplish something? People say you start your day like with a win already because you got something accomplished, other than just brushing your teeth and putting deodorant on that's you know (laughs) we gotta go a little bit beyond that yeah and so one of the things i've 
been trying to do for quite a while. And my morning routine is when I get up, almost the first thing I'll do is sit down and I've got a devotional I read every morning. Um, it's from a guy named Scotty Black and it's called Way of Warrior, not Way of the Warrior. If you just Google Way of Warrior, he's got a blog daily. It's, you know, it's about a five minute, you know, it's a Bible verse, talks about it. And it takes, you know, five minutes. I read that. I share it. I send that to my wife. I usually send it to my kids. And, and sometimes yeah. <laughs> sometimes my best friend, John. It's good John, stuff. It's, good stuff. it's a good way to start the day heading yourself in the right direction. Your day's not going to be perfect. We're all going to have screw-ups. But at least if we're moving in the right direction, that's that's the basic goal right there. So do what you can in the mornings to set the tone one way or the other. So have some little thing, some little ritual that you do. You know, for me, read that devotional. I take notes, just a couple lines probably every day about what I got out of that and kind of what was important out of it. And man, it's like you, know, you hit the hit the ground running. Like I'm this day starting off good, you know, and and try to get that done every day. So try sometimes it's daunting to think, well, you know, am I going to read my Bible every day? And you open up your Bible and you're like, mind blown because you don't know where to start or what this person's talking about or what the context is. And so it's like, it's like you're trying to run with concrete blocks attached to your feet. Like I just, it's hard to get going. So take it in small chunks, you know, back to a range analogy here. When you're talking about your faith, do, you know, these little micro drills if you have to. So instead of learning all at once how to shoot a handgun, we're just taking baby steps. We're learning how to hold a gun. Like we're not even talking about shooting it yet. You know, we'll we'll spend all day long about how to hold on to it. Mm-hmm. We'll spend a long time about how do you just take it out of a holster. Basic things like very very small steps. So you break your training and your practice down into very small drills, micro drills, very small parts of the big part. Same way with our faith. Break it down into small parts. Read John three sixteen. You know, every morning or whatever, just to where it's a win. You feel good about it. It keeps you interested and motivated and moving in the right direction. And you'll, you're, in your journey, you'll move to 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 bigger things and more than just you know the milk of the beginning. You yep. know of of your faith journey and on to more solid food, as they say. But you know, get whatever small win you can. To start your day is a big. It's a big deal. Yep, yep. We so we have this. We have this thing also that <laughs> you mentioned milk and meat. I I feel like the church doesn't get anywhere past really the milk a lot of times, and we have this. We have this this constant regurgitation of just the simple things. But I think that as we progress, so our faith is not based on our works. Absolutely. Our salvation is not based on our works. It is based off of what Jesus did to for us to save us from our wretched depravity of we're without him, we are depraved monsters and, and you want to see how how crazy these things get. Look at it. You use the example of a prison, a godless society that is just chaos and its mm-hmm. own rules, but it's depravity and mm-hmm. it's just broken, you know just people doing whatever they want within those walls. That's where we would be without Christ. But we know that works don't define our faith. They don't save us. 
But the Bible also says faith without works is dead. So there is something too. I think that what we do in 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 the church a lot of times is that we get that cart before the horse, and we and, and we we don't want to get the cart before the horse. So we just say, well, well, works isn't what defines our faith. But really, after salvation, you should it's a see reflection. that it's a, exactly. It's a reflection of your faith. It should be something that we see. We should see progression. We should see those little chunks of faith, and it's a it's a it's a it's a journey so it's a it's a constant building on top of what you've learned are you going to fail yep absolutely you're going to fail 100% i haven't seen anybody that's come to christianity that hasn't failed and but it's that you know it doesn't look like a straight line up and to the right as to to borrow our pastor's analogy of that but it's more of you know it's not a straight line. It's more of a, looks like a mountain We're we're climbing steadily towards that peak, yeah. but we're not, you know, we should be progressing. We should see those works start to start to the fruit. You know, Jesus cursed the fig tree when he came to it and it was, had leaves on it. It was fully in bloom and there was no fruit on it. He cursed it because it was fake. It wasn't, it wasn't doing what it was supposed to do. And I think that if you've got the outward appearance of faith, but you have no substance to it, then you're basically that fig tree. Yeah. Yeah. yeah big time. I've been thinking a lot lately about church and kind of, kind of the purpose behind it. Like what, you know, of the whole, you know, it's really not just that hour and a half on a Sunday. That shouldn't really define your faith. It's the other, it's the rest of your week. How you mm-hmm. treat people. Are you respectful? Do you treat people nice? Do you, you know, offer your time and energy to help, you know, people that maybe can't help themselves. You know, what are you doing throughout the week? That's really the foundation. But in church, I I just get the gut feeling sometimes that pastors are frustrated because pastors have gone probably to seminary. They've gone to school and college to learn. They're all, they've, you know, they've got so much information and knowledge that they want to pass on, like in their brains, man, like, look what I figured out about this passage or this thing. And they want to teach that. And sometimes the recipients are not ready. They're not ready for that type of thing in that setting. So even though we just talked about where you need to move on to kind of more mature things, sometimes I think in church, people get overwhelmed with trying to be taught some big theological things. Sometimes I I hate to even almost, I'm not trying to put down what pastors are are preaching in church, but I think honestly, what most people in church, they want to hear more personal things. They want to hear, you know, like when Kerry Martin comes to church and talks about, you know, his story, his coaching story of, and how things worked out in his faith, people are just glued. Like Mm -hmm. they cannot stop listening and it motivates people like, man, if he did that, maybe I can do that too. And he's a Christian, like, maybe I need to look into this more. Like, to me, I'm not saying one's better than the other, but it's extremely impactful. And anytime we can incorporate personal stuff, personal stories, that's when you've got people hooked in. That's when people are listening just to every single word you say. And that's how you can really impact people, I think, in a church setting. Because we were talking about earlier Everybody sitting there in the congregation in the church, they're not all fellow pastors and fellow mature Christians. And there's a lot of worldly people sitting around in there. 
God bless them. They're in church. They have no idea what you're talking about and, and might not care less. And they're worried about, you know, is Chick-fil-A open yet? And, and not and, on Sunday. And, 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 uh, <laughs> I, and I get there in a hurry. Sorry. Yeah. Chipotle, yeah. whatever the newest restaurant yeah. in Marion, Illinois yeah. is. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I just think, you know, pastors that have a tough, they've got a tough time leading and teaching and, 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 and what they're going to talk about. And I'm impressed with the job they do. I'm impressed with, with Michael and the, and the people, uh, at Cornerstone for sure, because, uh, they do a very good, a very yep. good job, yep. but it's, it's a complicated, it's a complicated job too. And I really feel, you know, I've always, I will say this just personally, I've always, you know, I've gone to a few different churches over the last 10 or 20 years. I've always resisted being involved in groups like a men's group or, or name the group in the church, because here's what happens in every single group. Certain people get involved like, Hey, yeah, I'll help out with this ministry. You name it. And they really want to be close to the pastor because he's a really cool guy or they want to be close to somebody else and they get involved. The next thing you know, the people in charge, the pastor or whoever overlooks you and says, no, I need this person over here to be in charge of helping us out. And all of a sudden my feelings get hurt or not personally because it hasn't happened to me, yeah. but I see it all the time where people like, Oh, well, what about me? I've been working so hard and, and I wish they liked me more. And I wished, you know, they hadn't hurt my feelings. And that's really not, that's really not the, the pastor's job is not to be your best friend. It's not to be as much as everybody wants to, you know, everybody has this desire to be needed. Me, you, everybody has mm-hmm. like, I want to feel like I'm needed and when sometimes you get involved and you get that, like, oh man, they need me. And the second they don't, or somebody else gets involved, sometimes people's feelings get hurt and it's always somebody's fault. So, you know, I used to shy away from trying to be too involved because I didn't want to get sucked into those type of weird relationships sometimes. So if that's you, then somehow you need to be involved in some other way. You need to be involved either with your giving it's you know with with something else you you name it um you don't want to draw completely away uh from being involved because that's what we need to do to be a church to be a community mm-hmm. uh so you know it's just always something that i kind of noticed and is kind of a, a difficult kind of hump i think for some people to to get over yeah yeah um i yeah i i i think that that's definitely an issue for sure with, with people, you know, getting their feelings involved in that. And I think that to a certain extent, people get passionate about stuff. So it's, it, they take it more personally and really the, the goal of church and the goal of, of us as Christians should be to share the gospel to, you know, that's the number one. And so, however that happens, God is not concerned with a light show or, you know, mm-hmm. or a, a fancy uh, music production or, or even a perfectly performed sermon. He is interested in souls. And so that is, I think that we get this in, in for men, I'll bring it back to masculinity as our, as our topic. I think men have this propensity. I've said this before, and I, it's no less true. We have a propensity for passivity. We have a, uh, uh, this way of checking out if we're don't feel like we're needed 
I think that that's very prevalent with men. If we don't feel like we're needed, everything's taken care of. I don't have to worry about it. But men who are engaged will change lives. They will actually, you know, change the world. You know, 12 men under the leadership of, of our Lord and Savior changed the world. And we sit in a world that is, you know, that has a lot of people of faith in it because of those 12 men being activated and going out in the world. And don't be afraid of that. I think we, as you said earlier, we are so focused on checking the box of, well, went to church this Sunday, took my kids. I did the good dad thing or the good husband thing and took my family to church. I don't really want to get involved. We're going to, we're going to come in, get in a couple minutes late, leave as soon as the prayer says amen we're we're not going to we're not going to be involved and we think that checking that box but what are we doing the other 6 days is 6 6 days and 22 hours yeah. of the of the rest of the week are we looking for opportunities to share what God's done for us in our lives are we looking for opportunities to get involved are we looking for opportunities to be activated for uh, the kingdom for what we are a part of. And I think that the church is in a lot of ways, and this is more broadly, the big C churches is not equipping men. We're not, we're not concerned with men. And it is, it is absolutely one of the reasons that we're seeing a cultural shift and a, and a crumbling really of the foundation of our country and of our communities is because we don't have activated men. We don't have men that are, that are, that are engaged in, in their local communities in, and we should be, we should be, uh, in the school board meetings. We should know what our kids are learning. We should know what, what our, you know, what our communities are talking about and what our, I just actually saw a, I don't know if you saw this, but I saw that they had a satanic statue in a, in a Capitol building in, in Iowa. I thought you were going to say something else. I saw something even worse than that. Really? No, this is not, you can Google this. This is not made up. There's a grade school somewhere out there in America. They're starting a club. It's the, it's the Satan after school club. It's like the Satan kids club, something like that, where this group, it's a satanic group and they haven't, they do not mince words at all like they worship satan they have an after school group and they do activities where they build things and do projects but they're atheists and they you know basically they prescribe to the satanic beliefs of just everybody for yourself and whatever feels good and there's no god and just you know those type of things and it's really happening in the school they can't do anything about it because any religious group that wants to have their own after school meeting they have to, as long as there's one group, they have to allow everybody. Mm-hmm. So there already is one Christian group that meets after school with these grade school kids. So they're saying they cannot tell this Satan grade school after school club. They can't tell them, no, this is ridiculous. That's the clown show world we are living mm-hmm. in, that a school, a government cannot tell they, the Satan worshipers, no, you cannot come start a Satan club with my fourth graders. What is going on? What, like, who are we to just stand back and not say anything? Yep. We have to stand up and say that is the that is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And we're in control here, not the Satan club people. And 
the heck with you. You're not coming here to have a club. <laughs> yeah. And sue us and do whatever you want to do. It's not happening. Yeah. Somebody has to take a stand. You, if you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything, and you'll just be overrun by all the most ridiculous stuff. And this is one of the most ridiculous things I've heard in a long time that this kind of stuff is happening, and it's just, well, there's nothing, nothing we can do about it. Yeah, there is. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm going to quote one of my uh, one of my favorite dudes out there. Shout out to you know if he ever sees this, Steve Dace. I he he has this saying of we are not a nation of laws and we never have been. We are a nation of political will and we always will be. Yeah. And when you look at the history of this nation, we're that's absolutely true. And the reason that we've had so much of the Christian worldview involved in this nation is because the the political will was there and the church has pulled out. We talked about this a couple episodes ago. The church has pulled out of that altogether because it's messy and it's ugly and all this stuff. And I don't think that that's really what, what we should be prescribing. We should be actually speaking out about some of these things. We should not be, not necessarily that we should be all politicians. I'm not saying that at all. I don't think that that's really what God calls us to do, but speaking truth Right. Absolutely. God calls us to do that. And speaking truth in love, what we said earlier, love is not always nice. It's kind. Kind and nice are two completely different words. Look them up. Different definitions yep. completely. And we have kind of conflated all of this stuff to where we think, oh, we really shouldn't speak out against this stuff. We shouldn't go out and speak truth because that could be offensive to people. No, we, we, we should be offensive. If the truth is offensive... Then we should be offensive. Yeah, that's, don't apologize. Like, for that. that that's not that's not something we should feel bad about. We we are called to speak truth, and when we speak the word of God, it says it's sharper than a two edged sword. It's going to pierce, and people are going to do one of two things: they're going to get really mad at you, and that's that's just conviction in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, or they're going to repent and they're going to turn and. We can't church up the gospel. I mean, we can't just package it. I I get really frustrated with the church, and, um, and once again, talking the big C church. Not all churches are like this. I've I've I let me preface this statement with with this is I don't think that the church overall is bad, but I think that we've fallen asleep at the wheel in a lot of ways. We've gotten this whole um, production of church where we shuffle them in, shuffle them out. And we lose some of the community of what's what's really supposed to be going. The church didn't start out in a big building. You know, we were in an old Walmart building. We have this giant church. It's a very nice facility, and we have a lot of really good things that go on there. We have the ability to do things that that a home church can't do. But the church started in homes. It started these little groups of of people that were meeting in their homes, and and and, and it didn't start as a, as a corporatized thing. And if we're speaking truth, if we are, if we're going out and we're doing that, yeah, we're going to, we're not going to necessarily always make friends. In fact, we're promised kind of the opposite that we're not going to have an easy life. If we stand, if we stand back and don't say anything, if you think the world is crazy now, like normal's never coming back, you haven't seen anything. You haven't seen anything yet. What you're living in right now, it will be like heaven compared to what it will be like if if all the good people don't stand up and say anything. So this is what I was telling you about here, and maybe John can put a, a picture up of these people. I can't believe I'm saying this. This is not made up. This is the after-school Satan Club. 
for an elementary school. The the what? The after school Satan Club. A Memphis elementary school says it cannot bar a club sponsored by the Satanic Temple. <laughs> what is going on here? Yet yeah, like this is this is nuts. I hope these people down there stand up and be like, this is ridiculous. I don't care, you know, what you say about freedom of religion, about, you know, whatever you want to call it. That's a lie. That's that's not the whole point between of freedom of religion. All right. So it doesn't mean you can just weasel your way into some school just because you say we can't sue you or we mm-hmm. can't force you. It's like all these atheists that file on lawsuits you know about a prayer group at school or a coach saying a prayer of the football team they don't care they don't care about their they don't have a religion it's just suing because they think they can Mm -hmm. and you know and so here we are today we're stuck with dealing with with craziness like this and we'd better voice our opinion and that's why we to some extent you've got to be informed about what's going on if you just tell yourself well i don't like watching the news it's all negative and so you never watch the news and you never look at any you know whether it's a newspaper or news feed on your phone if you never watch that stuff and don't know what's going on you're not going to know what's going on and you know we gotta you know somehow stay on top of the stuff enough to where we can raise a voice. We can, you know, send money to, to whatever, you know, organization out there that, that believes the way you do so that other people can be your voice, whatever it is, but we really need to be paying attention to what's going on out there. So either us or somebody else in our place can take a stand for us. Yep. See, and here's, here's the, Here's the analogy that I would use is if you're involved in a war, which we are, this is spiritual warfare. And behind this are forces of darkness and forces of light. If you're involved in a war and one side just lays down its arms and the other side decides not to stop, stop fighting, what do you think is going to happen? That's yeah. the, the side that laid down its arms is going gonna, is gonna to be wiped out. And if we lay down on a fight and we don't engage, then one of these days we're going to wake up and, they're taking my kids away because I'm trying to teach them about Jesus. And you think I am crazy for saying that, but that's the actual end game. That's what they want to do. And it's, they don't want, you know, I have several friends that homeschool their kids because of what's going on in the schools. Mm-hmm. My wife's a school teacher and she tells me stories that I'm like, I cannot believe this in little old hair in Illinois. I can't believe yeah. that this is, you know, if we would have, what do you think would have happened 20 years ago? Just 20 years ago, if you saw the same kind of crap that you're seeing in the news of, you know, people stripping in front of school kids and having story hours with people dressed in lingerie and and fake prosthetic, you know, sex organs on them, what do you think would have happened? I know what would have happened. There would have been a bunch of dads Mm -hmm. in that school like, nope, we're not doing this. Try this in a small town. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, honestly, that is, you know, and and what we're seeing, though, is that's starting to seep into these small towns. We're starting to see that happen in our communities. And it's like, and we're from a small rural area, I guess you could say. But we we have to, at some point, put our foot down and say, this no further you will yep. go no further yep. I'm, I'm kind of encouraged because you're starting to see here's the trend that's that's starting and not just the homeschool but more of a private school trend i think you're going to see that explode in the next five or ten years it used to be 
the homeschool kids were the kids of the hippie parents, you know, that didn't want to sit and they were all just the weird kids. Now it's like, well, it's not just the weird people anymore. Now it's the normal people. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, it's not just one private Christian's grade school in your town. I think what you're going to see is that's going to turn in probably to a big business mm-hmm. to where you're going to see more and more and more of that. Like we're not, you know, no, I'm not going to send my kids to a school where every day there's a fight with, between, you know, 30 girls, you know, in the cafeteria. Or, you know, I'm not going to send my kids to a school where, you know, just anything goes as far as what they're being taught. Like, this is not, you know what? People are going to are going to get fed up. And the way we make a change is like, you know what? We're we're sending our kids our own school. We'll build our own schools. We'll build a million of our own private schools. And, you know, one day public schools just might be full of tumbleweeds <laughs> and nobody in there because everybody's sick and tired of it. And now we've got our own system, our own way of doing things. that's not controlled by the government. Yeah. And I think, you know, if I had to make a prediction and we're already starting to see it, I see every once in a while these advertisements for brand new private schools and a big complex like, and they're just already, you know, filled up, you know, with students and and people uh, something we need to all seriously consider for the future well-being of our kids is where do we really need to be sending them? Do you really want to send them to where they're having an after-school Satan club and the school says that's okay? I mean, are there like there'll probably be two kids of this dumb thing for a week. Yeah. So I get that it's not you know the school is not going to burn down with 500 satanic people there every night. It's just, it's the general principle of the thing Mm -hmm. that says, you know what? Nobody's taking a stand for anything. Nobody takes a stand for what's right. That's the, what's the most obvious thing. Nobody wants to stand up for what's right. And for what the truth is. Don't tell me that this isn't right. Don't look at me in the face and tell me that this is just okay and it's everybody's right. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And everybody knows it's ridiculous. And that's why everybody's so fed up. And, you know, maybe maybe this, is, this type of stuff is a good thing. Maybe this is what pushes people over the edge to say, you know what? My kid's not going to school there. And instead of sending them to your school, I'm going to pay fifteen grand a year to send them over here. And all your teachers in the school are going to be out of a job. Well, that's terrible. But whose fault is this? It's the school board and the government and all the people running this crazy show. It's their fault, not mine. And maybe this snowballs into into a movement. But mm-hmm. it's only going to do that if people like join together and stand up and actually take a stand and not just, I just hope, well, I hope it's all fine. Yeah, if they can have an after-school Satan club. It'll be okay. It's not a big deal. And then what's the next thing? And then what's the next thing? You know, they're going to take your fourth grader to the uh, after school drag show Mm -hmm. because like, you know what? If people want to do that on their own, great. We're not telling you to go tell people what they can or can't do at their own club as adults doing their own thing, but you can't bring them to fourth grade. That's the truth. That, That type of stuff should not be going on and everybody knows it and so we've got to stand up and man i'm I'm, i think that there could be a real movement as far as private schools home schools 
Uh, I hope. I hope so. I, I never dreamed in a million years that any of my kids or grandkids would be going to private schools or Christian schools. But now I'm like, that's probably the best thing. Yeah. That's probably the best yep. thing. We, we, I mean, we've had conversations about that too. And my wife's a public school teacher of just the stuff that, that we have to protect our kids from. And you know, they, the, the need is for men to step up and lead their families and lead these, 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 these movements. Um, when I, I think back, we saw a lot of school board, you know, if you were on the Twitter sphere or any of that kind of stuff in 2020, 2021, when all of this stuff was going and you had the Loudoun County thing that happened with the school uh, where the girl was raped by a identifying boy that said he was felt like a girl and went in and raped her in the bathroom. And, and all of these things, what you see in these school board means you see a lot of moms there. You see a dad every once in a while, but you don't, man, like where are the men? Where are men? I, I, I get frustrated because men are the ones that actually can change this stuff. And I, I, you know, I told you this earlier, men are failing to lead currently. And when men fail to lead, what does it what does it lead to? Women have to step up and lead. And God didn't necessarily design women to lead. There are times in the Bible even where you see women leading, Esther and Deborah and all this stuff. Those always seem to be situations where it's a dire moment. Not a normal moment, but a dire moment. And God's like, I've got to use, I'm going to use this woman to lead. But God has created and given men the responsibility of leadership. And that leads, mm-hmm. that's everywhere. And if we're not engaged and we're we're asleep at the wheel and sitting down on the job, man, nothing's going to change. And we have to step up. And I I want to see men step up into that leadership role in culture, in their families, and we have in in the church too. We should be leading the way. We should be leading the charge. It should be we should be inspiring men to follow the the lead. And that's not happening. So what's the problem? We need to. We need to message. We need to inspire. We need to actually call men out that are in their in their lethargic trance of playing video games and watching sports and drinking beer on the weekends and and not saying that there's anything wrong with those things, but if that is what you're living for and that is the things that you're doing, you're sitting down on your job, man, that's pretty pathetic. And you need to you need to step up to the plate and actually get engaged and activated. Yeah, big time, man. No yeah. Doubt. So I, I think that we, we kind of, (laughs) we covered a lot of things, but I, I think that one of the things that we should, we want to drive home and that's what this, this podcast is about. It's what this whole righteous savages thing is, is we want, we want to build brotherhoods. We want, and that's not necessarily just here in Southern Illinois. That's everywhere, wherever we're reaching out. We've got people from all of the United States listening to this podcast, start something. Like find some like-minded men and start something, start a group, getting together, talking about things, training together, doing things, activities together, go to the gym together, but use your time to look at how you can change your sphere of influence, what you can change in your world. Because if, if we just sit down and we look at Oh, look at what they're doing in, in DC today and what law they're passing, all that stuff. It's easy to get overwhelmed. What can you change 
in your life today that's going to affect you long-term, that's going to change and it's going to discipline you to be a better, well-rounded man and a leader in your home, a leader in your community and your church, we've got to get engaged. And and on top of that, don't be afraid to stand up for what you believe in and don't be afraid to say the truth if you need to. doesn't mean you go drive around with a loudspeaker attached to your car and, and, and preaching to everybody about what you believe. But when the time is right and somebody asks you, You know, a teacher in your school says, hey, what do you think about this club or this thing? You need to say what's on your mind. Like, well, here's what's up. This is messed up or this is right and that's wrong. And with your kids, when you're watching TV and you see commercials and stuff on TV with all kinds of craziness, you have to stand up and speak up. Say, hey, in case you were wondering, kids, this is messed up (laughs) and -hmm. here's why. Oh, well, yeah, I didn't even think about that. And so we have to make an impression on your kids. We have to stand up and take a stand for what's right. And other people see you taking a stand, then they take a stand. And pretty soon we're not the minority. All of a sudden we are the majority. We're the ones in a position that can change things and make decisions and not get run over by the ridiculousness of what's going on. So don't be afraid to stand up for what's right and what the truth is. Yeah. So there is an analogy. I think that um, there's there's a lot of analogies about this, but there is a, it only takes a small percentage. And actually this was a Soviet, a Soviet guy from, from the Soviet Union who's in the United States. He talked about the culture and how they, how they can change a culture in a generation. And it only takes, I think he said like something like three or 5% to change a culture. Well, if we are looking at that in the opposite way, it only takes three or 5% of activated Christian, you know, God-fearing masculine men Mm -hmm. to actually change a culture. So if we're not, if we're seeing culture change, that means that we've got a, a hilariously low amount of men activated. So let's get in there and let's get in the fight. You know, I know that we're not supposed to say as Christians, get in the fight, you know, because that's, that's, that's a bad word, Mm -hmm. but we are engaged in a war. We are engaged in a war and we're a, we're a participant in the war, whether we're active or not. So get active and be confident, be confident in what your hope is as Christians. Our hope is that Jesus came here, died for our sins, saved us by grace, which is going to give us eternal life. That's our hope. That's the foundation of what everything is based on. And once you have confidence in that, like, like what, like, you know, if God's for you, who can be against you? You know, we see you on the range. Here we go back to the range again. Confidence is a big thing when it comes to people's performance. If you go up to one yard away from a target, people are very confident and they shoot very well from one yard. And it's not just because you're so close. We back up to 15 yards. People start to freak out. They waver. They're not confident. They think they're not as good anymore. And, and it's night. The, the gun's just as accurate at one yard as it is at 15 yards. The gun isn't changing a whole lot. It's all about your mindset. So you got to be confident. You got to have hope. I, th- I think it was the devotional I read from this morning or maybe yesterday where they gave a story of a, a guy that was in the hospital, had a terminal illness, and the doctor came in and said, hey, sorry, bro, but it looks like uh, you've only got two weeks to live. This isn't going to work out so good for you. And so the, the patient was walking out of the hospital and walked by the front desk, and he told the person at the front desk, it's like, man, I'm, this doctor was kind of a jerk to me. He told me all this stuff, and he said he took all my hope away. 
And the guy at the front desk said, well, you better find something else to hope in, <laughs> hope for. Just so so you can't just hope in the materialistic or the earthly things. Your hope, your major hope has got to be in the eternal, in God. That's your foundation for your, for your hope and what gives you confidence, the confidence to what you're standing for, what you're standing on. So when you say, hey, this is wrong or this is right, your confidence and your hope is what is the truth which is Jesus and what, you know, he stands for. And that's, that can be a game changer for a lot of people to where now we're not just sitting back anymore. Like, Hey, you know, I think I need to say something about this to your wife, your kids, your family, to people at work, school, whatever it is, and not be just the, the silent Sammy sitting around, (laughs) um, just getting run over every day. Yeah. Yep. Well, so as we close, I want to encourage everybody, what we have talked about tonight is probably one of the most important things, and we're going to continue to talk about it. It's because it is that important right now. Manly leadership, godly masculine leadership is sorely lacking in our world, and we need it to to turn this thing around or just to even be able to carry our worldview to the world and present the gospel to those who who don't know or maybe eh, maybe I need to check out this Christian thing but we need leadership and in the world we need leadership we're in the world but we're and we're not of it but we are still in it so stay in it and stay engaged I'd like to thank you guys for coming in tonight and don't forget to follow our social medias. We've seen a lot of activity there and we appreciate everybody that's tuning in and we would love to see you guys get even more activated with our content. Uh, like and subscribe, hit the little bell notification on YouTube to let you know when we've got new content coming out. We've got some interviews coming up in the next couple of weeks where we're going to be talking about some in-depth things with some pastors and some, and after the new year comes, we've got some, some very, very intelligent minds in the world of tactics and, and, um, the science of killing. And we're going to be getting into and, um, just talking about all of these things that are that are a part of being a well-rounded man. And we'd like to encourage you guys to stay engaged and to lead well. We'll see you guys again next time.